Well, greetings and welcome to another edition of the Guardian podcast with Ren Melberg. My name is Harold Nickel. The U.S. has a cybersecurity problem. According to published reports, the Chinese government is now building a Facebook-like database filled with the profiles of federal employees and applicants with information that was stolen from the U.S. government computer databases earlier this year. Two breaches alone exposed the data of more than 20 million federal workers and contract employees. The unprecedented data breach gave hackers access to U.S. government employee and job applicants' security clearance forms with detailed information about past drug use, love affairs, sexual proclivities, financial woes, history of violence and foreign contacts, and other information officials fear could be used for blackmail or espionage recruiting purposes, as in making them spy for the Chinese government. And, Ren, this is a very serious security problem that everybody should be worried about, but with 20 million compromised records, it makes me wonder if it isn't just too late and we should all just start learning to speak Mandarin or Cantonese. Is it too late? Of course not. Absolutely not. Um, There's a few things to note. Yes, it's a lot of people who had information. um, Their personal information was compromised. However, for being realistic, most people have pretty mundane um, and commonplace issues. So the things like someone being gay is no longer blackmail worthy, Uh for instance, or having a history of violence in your family, again, not blackmail worthy. Um, Anybody who is blackmail worthy would have to have something pretty extreme Uh that, let's be honest, they're probably not going to put on a a clearance form and having... It being someone who's been through that process, there's a couple of things to consider. The whole reason we go through that process and we say, okay, you know, here's my questionable history, right? Mm-hmm. Um, including family members. That That's one of the things that's scary about this. So, like, if they happen to access my, I was not notified by the government that they did because mm-hmm. it wasn't everybody. Um but they would have found out that I have a family member who was in jail mm-hmm. because that would have been on my clearance form. Sure. Again, in the United States of America, with our high number of incarceration rates, that's not blackmail worthy, right? Right, right. yeah. Way too many of us who can say, yes, if I go far enough in my extended family, I'm going to find someone who's been in jail or prison. Yeah. Right? It's sad but true. Yeah, Um, So for most of the people, the concerns were around information that could be used to steal their identities. And Mm. that is why the federal government worked so hard on that part. That was the real risk. And they worked with the impacted people to change passwords, get new accounts, even change social security numbers. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of people who are issued new social security numbers Uh, because that was the greatest risk. And then people self-identified if they felt they had a a blackmail risk. 
and the government is working through that process with those individuals. Yeah, that's that's good news. And the news about the new Social Security numbers, that's also good news. But I don't mind saying that I really don't have much confidence that the government can solve, you know, the bigger security problem. And I wonder and am hoping that I'm wrong to be this cynical, am I? No, <laughs> sadly. <laughs> I know I'm supposed to reassure you, but I can't. Oh, One of no. the things that, you know, someone being in, in my position who has been working with this for a very long time, I mean, I started working with uh, cybersecurity issues in 1998 oh, wow. when I started doing IT security for one of the largest financial investment firms in mm -hmm. the world. And back then, um, you wouldn't believe, already in 1998, how many um, open, unprotected network fax machines I found. Oh, yeah. And um, an employee had created his own small business that was an email and IP service, and he was running it off of the company's servers. Nice. So this has been a problem we've been working with for a very long time. Um, one of the things that we find ironic about this is the U.S. government, our military, that created the Internet. Yep. And it's kind of like they created it and then they stopped. Because mm. when it comes to security, our government has some pretty major problems. Yeah. They just are very slow. Um, they're not particularly creative. And they most definitely, uh, especially in the last, you know, what, since about 2000, mm -hmm. have not been able to recruit and retain the best talent. They're just not willing to pay for it. Yeah. And I'm sorry, but one of the laws of the universe is you get what you pay for. Absolutely. And we've really seen that when it comes to security and the U.S. government. They will pay for top talent in very specific areas. Unfortunately, cybersecurity is not one of them. Then the other challenge we have, and specifically with China, is the political consequences. Mm -hmm. China is the largest lender to the United States of America. So our politicians, both sides of the aisle, tend to bend over to China and let China do what they want. They're afraid of the debt, mm -hmm. and they're afraid of the loss of market. So instead, they allow China to violate our laws rather routinely, mm -hmm. and, and specifically the Chinese government. Um, and they allow the Chinese government to do things that cost the American people a great deal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that um, the fact that we owe them a lot of money certainly is going to color um, what gets done or, or or doesn't get done, I guess, more, right. more appropriately. And it, and it happens to be China. Let's be honest, it could be anybody. Oh, it could sure. be Canada. Canada, <laughs> Canada owned the vast majority let's be it should be factually correct the greatest amount of debt 
that the U.S. government owes is to the Social Security and Medicare trust funds. Right. Number two is China. If number two, (laughs) so remember their first debt is to the U.S. people. And so we are the ones that they owe the greatest amount of money to. If number two was Canada, we'd be in the same position. Canada could make significant breaches against the American public and the American people, and our government would be reticent to do anything about it. Um, because they would be afraid that Canada would call them the debt. It just happens that it's China. Yeah. Yeah, very bad. A very bad situation. Um, but let's look at it another way. We all know mm-hmm. that, you know, people and the data about them evolves quickly. People move, mm-hmm. they change jobs, they get married, they get divorced, they go back to school, they retire. And without wanting to sound silly, isn't this a problem that actually will get better with time? As far as the breaches of the U.S. um, employee databases, yes, it definitely uh, does, and that's Mm -hmm. why they prioritized how they handled um, the correction of the breach. Mm -hmm. So, like you said, for people who have moved multiple times or have gotten married or changed their names or whatever, uh, since they went through their last clearance process, the risk of identity theft was really, really low. Mm -hmm. Even more so, the longer you haven't been a federal employee, the risk of any blackmail threat is Mm -hmm. really, really low. Um, And they found that some of the the people hadn't worked for the federal government for more than 10 years. Mm -hmm. Well, (laughs) <laughs> you know, they kind of looked at this and went, what are they going to bribe me with? You know, so the, oh, yeah. the focus of a lot of the attention from the government was on current employees um, and the more recent security clearances because the risk was higher. Um, so when we look at, honestly, when I look at their response from that degree, I think it was incredibly spot on. They triaged it very well. They -hmm. responded very quickly. They responded quietly. Because actually making this particular breach public knowledge too soon Mm -hmm. would hamper their ability to deal with the impacts of the breach. Very Mm -hmm. different than some of the credit card breaches that we've talked about before. Where delaying the communication actually um, created a much greater loss to the impacted individuals, the the this particular incident had to be deal, dealt with that differently. Mm-hmm. Um, they had very careful and specific categorizations of the different severities, and they had a t- different plan for each severity. Yeah, that. So all of that was done very well, and it should give you confidence that our government <laughs> can do some things very very well. The challenge we have is we have not seen any evidence that there has been substantive improvement in the actual cybersecurity to prevent breaches like this from happening at the U.S. government mm-hmm. or any other U.S. institution or organization. Yeah, That's that, the part that should scare you. Yeah, and, and it does. And along those lines, I've also read that, and this is really scary, information about children was collected and that 
too could be used in the years to come to pressure adults who are government employees or worse still to pressure the children to spy on and report on their parents. So whereas the question we just talked about, it getting better with time, this is, on the other hand, a long-term problem. Mm-hmm. How do or is it too late for those parents to protect their children? It's This one's a little tougher because we don't really understand fully, even security experts, we don't fully understand the impact of having our children on the Internet. Mm-hmm. We have been recommending for a very long time that people are extremely careful about what they put on the Internet about their children, including pictures that you posted of your children. Mm-hmm. You could be making choices that have a pretty significant and detrimental impact to them as adults, huh. to your point. Especially with the huge increases in photo recognition and things like that, there's a lot of information that people can um, gather about your child that your child never put on the Internet. Hmm. It was all done by the parents. Um, and, And so that's something for parents to really kind of think about. What am I putting out there in the Internet that could be detrimental to my child at some point? in the future. As far as the information that was gathered by the Chinese government that we know of from U.S. databases, it's a very low risk. Most of what they got were things like birth dates, social security numbers, addresses, things like that. Mm. They didn't get much of any personal information because that's not something that's collected in the clearance process. Okay. Uh, so where they thought there was a risk, they changed some social security numbers, they did things like that. But for the most part, those children, as far as we know, um, are not at any risk. What we do know is that the government's going to be monitoring this group of people. That's fun. <laughs> the activity for this 20 million people for about 20 years. Oh, man. Um, to one, fully understand what the impacts of this breach are and so that we can continually study these kind of breaches and improve our responses, but also to be there and available if there are any consequences that arise for the people who are impacted. So it's not like the government said, okay, we're going to do these fixes and we're walking away. Uh There is a constant source that people can go to and say, okay, this just happened. Do you think this is related? Can you help me out? Mm-hmm. So that should make people feel a little better, mm-hmm. but we should never stop thinking about what we're putting on the Internet about our children. I think, I, I mean, I'm on Facebook like everybody else and Instagram and Tumblr, and I'm really shocked at what some people put on the Internet about their kids. Huh. Really shocked. The, the degree of personal information and, and it's it's why would you put that out there about your kid? Why would you breach their privacy like that? You know, that's really interesting and frankly something that had never occurred to me that um, it isn't the kids doing it, it's mom and dad. So are there other things, Ren, that, um, that parents need to do, some other specifics about or maybe what not to do with information about their children online? 
I think the biggest thing is to be very careful about who you share it with. So, uh. for instance, on my profiles on Facebook and things like that, it's mm-hmm. very locked down. Yeah. It doesn't come up on a Google search. Anything I share, I only share with um, certain people. Mm-hmm. So I've categorized my Facebook friends, right, as family members, um, colleagues, acquaintances, and friends. Right. And so when I post things, I'm very careful about who I share it with. And I strongly recommend that with other people. Make sure on Facebook, you know, you've identified who your acquaintances are. Mm-hmm. And you limit what you share with those people. And also, I never allow any of my friends of friends to post, share, comment on anything I post. Because I don't know those people. Sure. And I have no control over that. So I don't want them to see or comment on anything I've put out there. So I keep that controlled. And i using Facebook as an example because it's the most commonly used. Mm-hmm. But Instagram, Twitter, uh, Tumblr, they all have the same restrictions. So you as a person can control who sees what you share. So when I share pictures of my family, mm-hmm. I restrict it to family and friends. And sometimes mm-hmm. I'll just share it with family. I won't even share them with friends. Because it isn't my job to breach the privacy of other people. Right. Boy, that's, that is such good advice, Ren. Um, according, though, to the, uh, the director of national intelligence, a guy whose name is James Clapper, mm-hmm. he says that Chinese spies, Chinese espionage, that they continue to target what he terms a broad spectrum of U.S. interests, ranging from national security information to sensitive economic data and U.S. intellectual property. And that's things like patents and trademarks. Mm -hmm. So you've told us about what parents should do. What should those types of organizations be focused on starting, you know, Monday morning? Well, one of the things that we're challenged with um, on the IP stuff, and this is an area I've been working on for a very long time as well, Mm Because um, the Chinese government does not protect U.S. patents. However, like if we go to Canada, Canada absolutely protects U.S. patents, trademarks, and copyrights. We protect theirs too. So I can't go to Canada, steal someone's intellectual property, and then sell it in the United States. Because the U.S. government will come down on me. And they do. And they have. They're not shy about it. We don't have that type of production in China, which is why we see so many knockoffs of U.S. products. And not just U.S. products, let's be honest, China doesn't protect really anybody's patents. Japan is fit to be tied because China is constantly um, violating their patents and creating knockoffs of theirs as well. and really, this goes back to our earlier conversation that China <laughs> owns the second most amount of U.S. debt. Uh-huh. And so the U.S. government feels very hampered on what they can enforce and require of China. On the other side, we don't have any leadership from the business community in the United States uh-huh. demanding protection of U.S 
IP from China, in in China. And that's that's really there's a couple of people who are trying to step into that role, uh-huh. but it hasn't they haven't really had the perseverance to make any real changes. And and I don't know if you remember, but uh, this was some time ago. Um, Bill Gates tried to be that person. Oh yeah, remember because yeah, China was ripping off China. Uh, a company owned by the government of China was ripping off Microsoft products. I do remember. And, that, yeah. Yeah, and but he didn't persevere. He didn't stay in the game. Hmm. Um, he really only um, fought for like a few months, and then he started working on something else. And we've seen that a few times. We've seen that coming out of financial services, um, in their you know intellectual property because um, financial products have IP as well. Mm-hmm. And we've seen that, um, you know, a CEO of a bank will step up for a month or two and then they disappear. Um, mm-hmm. So if we really want to see significant changes around security within U- U- U.S. organizations and companies, mm-hmm. ranging the full spectrum that you just mentioned, it's 100% the responsibility of the U.S. companies. And they're the only ones who can even influence the government at this point to give them support. And really what I would put where I would lay it at the feet of is at the Chamber of Commerce. Oh, those guys. They they have the most influence in this arena. Uh-huh. Uh, whether it's with the individual companies Chamber of Commerce has a considerable amount of influence, uh-huh. um, but also with our politicians and our government regulators, the people who actually are responsible for making sure this stuff happens, and uh-huh. it happens in the best interests of the United States of America. The Chamber of Commerce has an incredible amount of influence with that group of people as well. And so those are the people that I would ask. If Green ruled the world, world right, that's yeah. who I would say... <laughs> You guys got to step up. We need you. Because this problem is getting worse, a lot worse. And it's getting a lot worse really, really fast. Yeah, isn't that the truth? And You know, you mentioned um, Microsoft. The only other one that I remember doing much about um, IP, intellectual property, is uh, the entertainment business with knockoff movies and and CDs. Um Right, and Sony is a big example, and China tried to bully them. And and let's break this down. When we talk about acceptable and unacceptable behaviors, Uh what we're seeing from China is classic bullying. It just happens to be on a global scale. But they're bullying. Uh They bullied Sony. They're bullying the U.S. government. Yeah, doggone. Do we really want bullies to rule the world? I don't. And we really want to be bullied. I mean, how long, and this is my question to the U.S. Yeah. Chamber of Commerce, how long are, are we going to continue to be bullied before we stand up for ourselves? Because no one's going to stand up for us. Isn't that the truth? We're the United States of government. Everybody looks at us for leadership. Mm-hmm. We're not leading in this arena. Well, and the other thing, too, is that, you know, I mentioned James Clapper and the NSA, they have a budget of over $52 billion. Isn't so, that crazy? Yeah, and it doesn't, 
it doesn't seem to me that money's the problem. So what is? (laughs) The money, their budget just astounds me, Uh you know, because I think of what I've accomplished with, you know, 1% of that um, and compared to what they've done as far as um, cybersecurity. And it's clear it's not a priority. Right. It is clear that that money is being used for something else. It's also clear that if we want it to be used for cybersecurity, then we need to find a way to influence that those decisions uh-huh. and get them to dedicate resources just to cybersecurity and just to protecting the assets of the people of the United States of America. Yeah. Because money's not, a, not an issue for them, is it? Yeah, it would seem to me that they have never been hurting for money. <laughs> yeah, I mean, with $52 billion, there's all kinds of things you could accomplish. But anyway, yeah. it's, so it's, it's like... It's clear that it's not a focus. It's not a priority. So let's or say we'd that... we'd be seeing very different outcomes if it was. Yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to step on you there, but, you know, um, I think uh, if Wren was in charge, um, you walk into the NSA with your $52 billion um, in the budget, and you're tasked with, with going to work on this, what what are you going to do first? That's a big question, isn't it? I mean, because really, you've got to set aside and it really shouldn't be a huge amount of money, to be honest with you, but you need to set aside um, a, a certain amount of money that's just focused on cybersecurity, and that is going out and getting the best and brightest. There are still people who invented the Internet who are around. <laughs> Those right. are the people I'd start bringing in and saying, okay, guys, we need that same level of ingenuity and creativity and pair them with some younger people. We've talked before about hiring hackers. You know, to, you, sometimes you need to ca- hire a thief to catch a thief. That's right. Sometimes yep. you need to hire hackers to catch or prevent hackers. Mm-hmm. Bring them in. And I love the idea so much and have worked with organizations on a much smaller scale on how to bring this into an agile team format, get them working together, collaborating together, experimenting, and um, innovating every single day. And have seen the outcomes are pretty extraordinary when human beings are in that kind of situation, because that's where we thrive, to be honest with you. We've seen it over and over again, introverts and extroverts perform so much better when they're in a collaborative environment. We always say like the people learn through uh, 80% of learning occurs through conversation and interaction. And so does an extraordinary amount of innovation. And it's not that high. We're talking a couple million dollars out of a budget of $52 billion (laughs) to have an opportunity to create extraordinary Mm-hmm. Well, and I think, like you said, also making it a priority is also an important thing. 
So, right. I mean, that's probably the the biggest shift is making this a top priority for the U.S. government and for U.S. corporations. And Ren, with the time we've got left, the president of China, I think his name is pronounced G. He's going to be in the U.S. with President Obama. What advice do you have for the president of, of the United States about this security issue? That is, that's a tough question um, <laughs> because he's been very consistent in his expectations that China respect U.S. law, respect U.S. sovereignty, and respect U.S. intellectual property and security. Mm -hmm. However, as we've been talking about this whole time, there's been a deterioration in all three of those areas. Right. Um, so I don't know if at this point, without a focused, conscious effort to improve the security of the United States, and at the same time, restrict our debt sales to China. Because mm -hmm. we can control that to some degree, by the way. We don't have to borrow money from China. That's right. We really don't. There are other people, because we always pay our debts. That's one of the things people love about the United States of America as an investment. We always pay our debts. Right. So we are a low-risk, high-return investment. We don't have to sell to China. We really don't. Right. We just do. But I don't know if the president can control that by himself. I think he needs Congress. And we know that Congress is very focused on other things right now. Yeah, that's right. And I guess it's just uh, it's not a sexy enough of an issue for anybody to get too excited. But, you know, Ren, like you've told us, that it's something we darn sure should be. Right. And it's a perfect opportunity. And we've seen extraordinary results where we've seen government and business partnerships. Mm -hmm. This is a huge opportunity where the president, the White House as a whole, could partner with the U.S. Chamber of Commerce to do really extraordinary work. Because, yeah. again, they're both very influential. Um, they both really could move the needle. Mm -hmm. if they were working together on this issue, and they stayed focused. Because this, this has been costing the American people billions and billions and billions of dollars every year. And the reason why we don't know the real number is because the real number is so big. <laughs> yeah, that's one of those things that, that isn't comforting, and I really hope to goodness that you know the administration or the people at the U.S. Chamber, I hope that they're that they're listening and that we and they all find a way to get this solved. So, Right, because we really need their leadership. And they're really in, like I said, the perfect position to provide extraordinary leadership for the American people and American business. Yeah, amen. Well, with the few moments we have remaining on the podcast, um, you know, we talk sometimes about where the listeners to the podcast are. And we've talked about um, how many listeners Ren has in in Brazil. Well, 
after the program that Wren did on the uh, Ashley Madison case, there was a very big spike in our listeners from from Canada, and that kind of <laughs> reminded me that Ashley Madison is a Canadian company. So, thank you, Canadians, for for listening. We're not going to thank you for Ashley Madison, but thank you for tuning into the <laughs> tuning into the podcast. And remember, whether you're in Canada, Brazil, or someplace else, come back next week for another edition of the Guardian Podcast with Ren Melberg.